A lot of sports now have really good diversity inclusion policies, but they have to embed it. That has to be part of their DNA. They really believe in this and they need to create an environment where women feel welcome, acknowledging the differences uh, and including everyone in the decision making uh, is really important. And and that goes beyond gender. That goes into multicultural uh, areas, to Indigenous areas, to disability, everyone. You know, putting a voice around the table for all. It's not the same in every single sport. Uh, you know, there are there are some sports that are doing a fantastic job in that area and there are others that, you know, that traditionally have been male-dominated that have still got a long way to go. You can't coach everybody the same. You coach the person that's in front of you and to bring the best out of those people, you've got to understand that person and know how they tick. to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Our mission is to protect the integrity of sport and the health and welfare of those who participate in Australian sport. Hello, I'm Tim Gable. Welcome to Onside. If you're an athlete and passionate about preserving integrity in sport, Sport Integrity Australia would like you to join our athlete advisory group. The AAG informs our strategic direction and shapes our education strategies. If you're interested, check out our website for more details. Early this month, Sport Integrity Australia launched the National Integrity Framework, which sets out the expectations and behaviours for everyone involved in sport. We encourage all sports to sign up to the framework so we can all protect sport together. In today's episode, we discuss women in sports leadership and in high-performance coaching and the golf and parity that still exists. We talked to former Sport Australia CEO Kate Palmer on what still needs to be done to help women transition into these roles in sport. We also talked to Commonwealth Games gold medalist Cara Honeychurch, who has a unique perspective as both an athlete and as an administrator. In our segment from the highlight reel, we relive the 400 metres freestyle event at the Athens Olympic Games through the lens of Ian Thorpe's coach Tracy Menzies. And Tracy talks about the pressure of Athens, the scrutiny she faced as a female coach and her coaching philosophy. First up though, we speak to Kate Palmer and Kate Palmer is one of Australia's most accomplished sports administrators. And Kate's impressive CV includes the CEO of the Australian Sports Commission, now Sport Australia from 2017 to 2020. Uh, prior to that, Kate was the long-time CEO of Netball Australia. And she's now the CEO of One Athletics. Kate has been a trailblazer for women seeking leadership roles in Australian sport. Well, Kate, uh, welcome to Onside. Uh, you, you have been a proponent for more women to be promoted to leadership roles in Australian sport. Uh, why are there still so few women involved in sports leadership and high-performance roles then in Australian sport? Uh, well, Tim, I, th- I think the, the key issue is the environment that we create for women and a sport still is not uh, as, as inclusive or as friendly and welcoming to uh, women leaders as, as it could be. And that's changing. I'm, I'm seeing really positive signs, but we still need to be, um, you know, pay attention and not be complacent. Every time we see a, gr- a new program happening, we, we need to, we shouldn't think, great, job's done. We've got to keep going. I guess also you need women on on boards, don't you, to, to make and facilitate change so that it actually happens? Uh, definitely. Uh, you know, I think the policy at both the national and state level now around representation of uh, women on boards is really important. I'd like to see more chairs, um, women chairs of boards in national sport organisations and state 
organisations. It is happening, but too slowly. But diversity more broadly is really important for decision making around the board table. And you see organisations that have diversity uh, are performing and outperforming those who don't. And uh, more recently, having a look at some figures, you know, on the, in the AFL area, you see terrific shifts in uh, leadership uh, from a, a, a representation across um, broader diversity areas. You mentioned a moment ago there has been change and there is gradual change. Why doesn't it happen? happen more quickly because everybody seems to be talking about it and talking about it for a while now. Uh, look, the reality is that, you know, sport is is not immune to society. Sport reflects actually all that's great about society and all of the things that are bad about society. And I think until we are truly um, equal, that until um, everyone in this country feels like they're part of um, the community, it, it's not going to change quickly. So, uh, you know, sport can play a role in, in because we're on the whole it's very public. So we could show best practice to, to other apart the other industries and other organisations, but it, it requires a lot of dedication and it requires a community approach. It shouldn't be about women leaders making the change. It's about all of us collectively. And, and I have to say that's um, what I admire about the male champions of change sport arm is they generally, uh, they although they have women advisors, these are very powerful, influential, influential men who are uh, taking up the charge to make change in their own organisations, but but across the industry as well. You rose to the top in Australian sport and remain a key figure in in Australian sport. How did you do it, and others haven't been able to do it? Well, look, but, but, so I think just to to um, understand that I think there are more women leaders out there, and that they tend to um, not be as public. And I, um, you know, one of the great initiatives of women leaders of sport that Lee Russell is driving uh, is to actually give profile to some of the uh, women that are doing incredible things. So they, they, they're doing great work. We just don't hear about them. Um, but I, for me, and look, um, I, I was really lucky to come through a system in, in Victorian sport where, and look, to be honest with you, they were men that actually gave me the, the leg up. These were people that were, you know, a minister. Justin Madden was the first one to say, come on, Kate, you need to step up. And he appointed me to the to the uh, um, MCG Trust. And once you are appointed, obviously you want to add value, you want to be actually able to make a contribution. So it once you're, you're given that opportunity, embracing that, saying yes, getting involved in things. Um, and I've always, I'm just a, such a, I'm so passionate about this industry and and how I can contribute. And um, and look, I, I get the benefit of lots of support from lots of people. I've got a really strong network um, and um, the generous nature of people in sport means that I, you know, I can can ask for advice and support and favours and I, I'm given and I try and give back as much as I'm given. So for me, I've been really fortunate to have great supporters along the way and I'm forever, you know, you know, the, the, the first was a, a pioneer in sports administration in Victoria and um, he's still around and still, um, you know, I contact him from time to time and, and remind him of what he did for me to give me a start. So you really do need an advocate, don't you, P yeah. pushing you along? Well, you do. You need um, to believe in yourself. And I think 
you know, the, 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 the imposter syndrome is real and don't worry, from time to time, like most uh, women in sport, well, actually, it's not a, a, only a female thing, but women seem to do it more than others. You, from time to time, you pinch yourself and think, oh, do I, am I really good enough to do this? Am I, do I know what I'm doing? And I think, um, you know, that really positive talk and understanding that everyone feels a bit the same, um, you know, having confidence to fail and having confidence to, you know, um, have a go at things and be challenged um, is is really important. And look, you know what, Tim, I see in this next generation of young women leaders, they're braver than I was. You know, they are so brave and they are so good at what they do. You want to pick them all up. And I, I think that's what the women leaders of a sport group can do is pick up other leaders and push them forward. So I don't want to be known as one of those, the women uh, in, in leadership that, that, squash others down I want to be one known as that one that picks people up and there are plenty of women out there doing that and men which is terrific what about women coaches though still there seems to be this barrier of women actually becoming full-time coaches in Australia in any sport yes look and I've seen some research in this area that doesn't tell you a very good story about about one, how they get in the system, um, uh, to the lack of respect uh, that that is shown to them, and the environment that they have to work in. Um, it, you know, it's 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 really actually quite shocking when you see and hear the stories of women in in high performance sport in particular. Now that that's changing, that that has to change, um, and I, I think it's 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 about actually really making conscious decisions to uh, to give opportunities to women in this space. But there's a bit of catch-up to do in some areas, uh, but there's no reason for the lack of um, women in high-performance coach spaces. Uh, this is something sport has to actually take a really positive, proactive approach to. And, uh, and look, you would know, Tim, the investment in coaching overall is not great. So if you're a, a woman with two or three young children and you want to coach at, in a high-performance sport, it's, it's you know, it's tough. It's tough, uh, and, but it can be done if you've given, you've got enough support mechanisms around you. I was going to ask you about that, about the support for women in sports leadership roles, in particular coaching, um, because as you mentioned there, they do have to take time off sometimes to, mm. to have children, to raise a family, and then they find it very hard to get back into it. And even while they're there and they might be pregnant, they still find mm. it pretty tough, don't they? Yeah, uh, look, I, I think it's uh, we have to think rather than – and look, there's a, a terrific uh, – Darlene Harrison is um, worked in this area at the AIS and she used to say to me, Kate, there's nothing wrong with the women. You know, we can't – we shouldn't be looking at fixing the women, giving them more opportunities or, or putting them in leadership programs. You know, we can do all those things, but it's about the system that surrounds them and supports them and how we make that more inclusive. And, um, and mo- a lot of sports now have really good diversity inclusion policies, but they have to embed it. There has to be part of their DNA. They really believe in this and they need to create an environment where f- women feel welcome, that they don't feel like the person that, you know, um, cleans out the locker rooms or washes the uniforms. And that, can I say, I've heard stories about 
uh, head coaches or assistant coaches being handed the key to the you know the laundry. Um, uh, but how do you actually really explore what the experience is like from the moment a head coach or a coach walks in the door, and and what they what they experience from then on? It is something that we all need to to pay closer attention to, and so that's. Uh, I think that's key. What what sort of environment are you creating that encourages women to feel um, welcome and want to be part of that so they don't make a choice of walking away because it's too hard? Uh, do you think we promote enough uh, the fact that, that women do things differently and they provide a different perspective which can lead to a growth in an organisation and, and provide you know a, a bit of an outlook that it's not possible sometimes when you've got, say, an all-male board and all-male mm. coaching team and high-performance CEO, et cetera. Do you think that women do provide that, that extra perspective that's often required in sport? Oh, I think um, that's why the you know diversity is really important. It's, it's, um, it does bring a different experiences, a different lens, um, a, a different understanding, and I, and that's great for decision making. You know, you need to have be able to have a robust conversation. You need to be able to um, uh, walk away and and um, support the decisions that are being made. And uh, you know, women do uh, operate differently in, in in different environments. And you look, uh, women athletes are the same. They they don't work the same way as as male athletes. And it's not better. It's not. Um, it's different. And I think acknowledging the differences uh, and including everyone in the decision making uh, is really important. And, and that goes beyond gender. That goes into um, uh, you know multicultural uh, areas, to indigenous areas, to disability. Everyone, you know, put, putting a voice around the table for all. For all. I guess you can understand as well, though. There is a sense of cynicism amongst some women in sport. They've they've heard it mm. in the past, they've heard it for years, <laughs> talking about pay and equity, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But yeah. they've, they've heard all this stuff in, in the past and thought, well, you know, there is going to be change, but it's pretty glacial at times. And they can be yes. quite cynical of, of everybody talking about it, but no action. Uh, look, I, I have to say I've had to, from time to time, remind myself that it's it's, it's worth persisting because I think if you go into um, uh, what the, you know the doom loop and start uh, you know going round and round and going down and down and down, you're in you're in trouble. You need to actually be able to pull yourself out of that and actually take positive, proactive action. Um, and and I see that, and I see that in the younger generation, and I I admire that in them that they have, um, you know, it's not it's not helpful. You know, you have to point out things where inequality is is evident you have to point things out and really fight for that um, but uh, you need to approach it in a way that is really um, positive and proactive and I think that is a much better way of creating change sometimes you really have to you know really stand on things though and I think you know you only have to speak to our watch about the you know the the impact of inequality on the, the position of women in the world and women and children, and the the risk of um, you know, things like violence. That's a sort of another story. Mm. But the reality is, we have to keep um, keep our chins up and be positive. But the good thing is now I see the industry industry, but it's not a it's not a women's problem. This is a community and society, and it's a sport problem, all of sport problem. So where we have men in the conversation. Um, you know, uh, and I think we've in the past we've excluded men from the conversation, and that's made them 
feel, you know, I don't mind that they feel uncomfortable from time to time, but I want them to be part of the um, the solution, not sitting on the sidelines thinking, um, oh, you know, I'm going to lose my position because women are coming in. I want them to welcome women in and share the table. You were talking there about inequality. It is evident in many sports when it comes to pay and conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Is that simply a commercial decision that's made there in terms of pay and conditions? Well, I think there are a lot of myths about um, uh, about the you know pay and equal pay for equal work is is really really cr- critical. And I think if that you follow that principle, then uh, most sports will catch up pretty quickly. And uh, and look, part of the you know you can if you have a season that's not as long uh, that if you have um, uh, not as many international matches or not you know the reality is your your workload is going to be less and you will be paid less, but so equality is important first. How do you actually make sure that the same opportunities are presented to women as they are to, to men in sport and uh, and you are paid equally for, for that? And it, it's happening, you know, some sports have made real breakthroughs and I think, um, you know, I admire um, sports like uh, cricket and uh, uh, football or soccer, um, netball, rugby. They're all starting to really step up. And what's happening is they're, putting, um, I guess, pressure on each other to improve the terms and conditions. So it's beyond pay, but pay is really like that. At the end of the day, you need an opportunity to earn money for your craft. And if you're the best in the world, you deserve to be paid that. But it's also the other terms and conditions that athletes need, you know, making sure that you have the same access to the uh, standards of airfares or accommodation or there's been a recent... um, a, a clip uh, about American athletes um, being given equal access to gym equipment and proper facilities so they can train. And, you know, you think that, you know, can you believe that we're still having to push for that in, in this world that we live in? So thinking about, again, goes to that experience of um, athletes. What, what, what Do I get paid the same as my male counterpart for the same work? And do I get access to the same conditions uh, of employment? Um, and if you can answer yes to all those things, then we're in a better world already. And you know what? If if I had a daughter, I would want that. I'd want to say, um, you know what? You you can have you can see this pathway. You can be a professional uh, athlete, and um, you won't be discriminated against. Every single uh, child or young woman in this country should be able to say. I can see a future for me in professional sport if that's what I want to do. Um, but equally at the community level, I need to be able to um, have the same access to court space or training facilities or, um, you know, the, the football netball clubs. If I'm, I'm playing netball, I should be paid the same as the footballers. Yes, that uh, American women's basketball example yes. is another example, really. One yeah. step forward, one step back a bit. Uh, yeah. th- there is a, a current push at the moment to, for women's sport simply to be known as sport. Do, do you think we need to differentiate? We've got AFLW, for instance. Do we mm-hmm. do we need to differentiate, do you think, between women's sport and men's sport when we're talking about it? No. No. You know, like that time, and I've been an advocate and actually wrote an article about this a couple of years ago, you know, to get rid of the labels. And, you know, there were some great quotes by athletes, and I think it was Sally Pearson was one of them. She said, 
you know, I'm not the, um, I'm not the, uh, you know, fastest um, female athlete. I'm the fastest athlete. You know, I'm the, and and this is the thing. It's we need to get rid of the labels. Once you remove labels, then people think about it very differently. And I, I think this debate AFL has, I think, been tremendous in actually you know, a tipping point around uh, women's sport and they are provoking a lot of conversations. And if you, you know, if you've been listening to the radio, I love every time it comes up, no, the football season's not just starting. Yes, you know, it started it started eight weeks ago and, and I think that's what I love that they're actually doing that so that the recognition is is there. And and I think um, we will always have this conversation, but it's 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 not it's not necessary. I think it's sport that is get rid of the labels and um, uh, and it's not that hard once you start to you know once you decide to do that. Yes, a reference there to the AFLW season starting a few months ago and everybody yep. coming out saying, oh, the, the footy's back when the AFL comes back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as opposed to the fact that, well, we've had AFLW for two months now. It's not. That's right. It's, yep. it's not as if it's just starting with uh, because the men are playing it. No, <laughs> that's right. And, and look, because it's such a public example, I think it actually allows um, us all to have discussions around the uh, the water cooler when we're all back at work together um, to actually make sure that we have conversations about that. And I, it becomes it becomes more normalised in, in our language. And so we have a common language about what sport is. And I think that's that's helpful. Do you miss not being in that CEO role of Sport Australia? Do you, do you miss that not being in that top job? Oh, look, can I say it was one of the best jobs? Uh, well, actually, it's, but I think it might be the best job in the world. I loved uh, working at Sport Australia and the opportunity it gave me to, to um, create change. But I have to say I'm really enjoying back, being back in my home state in Victoria and the project I'm working on at the moment with One Athletics, you know, it's really it's so exciting um, when I see, um, you know, these two organisations looking long-term to the future about what's possible for athletics in this country. And I, you know, being a part of something um, so, um, I guess, innovative, even though I look cycling and golf have been through it, this is this is unique in the, that it's starting at the national level. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. But it also gives me a chance to, you know, I've just recently been appointed to the Richmond Football Club Board and uh, it's such a brilliant organisation. So I can I, ha- I can have a range of um, responsibilities. Um, Canteen Australia is another passion uh, of mine and being a director there. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, my life's good, Tim. I'm, I'm enjoying myself. Okay, thanks very much for joining us on Onside today. You've provided a fascinating insight into, I guess, the struggles, but also the road ahead for women's sport, in particular with leadership and high-performance roles with women coming through. Thanks very much for joining us today. Absolute pleasure, Tim. You're listening to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Welcome back to Onside. Our next guest is Cara Honeychurch, And during her playing days, Cara became one of the most successful Australian 10-bin bowlers in the history of the sport. At the 1998 Kuala Lumpur Commonwealth Games, Cara won three gold medals in the sport. Cara is now an accomplished administrator, having led 10-pin bowling Australia for a decade. And she's just started a new role as the General Manager of Corporate Services at Athletics Australia. Well, Cara, welcome to one side. Firstly, having a look at your role as the... I guess in, in charge of 10-pin bowling in Australia, having come from the sport, did it give you a, a unique perspective on what was required as an administrator? 
Yes, it certainly has. It, it's it's very different. I think when you when you're an athlete, you're very focused on and naturally so on what you need to do to be successful in bringing uh, your best performance every week. When you're an administrator and you move on to uh, sometimes I affectionately called it the dark side from an athlete's perspective, you understand and appreciate that there are a lot more things to take into consideration uh, as you go through and and have the responsibilities of trying to coordinate and run a sport. So yeah, very, very different for sure. And I guess as an athlete, you really don't realise what goes into putting a sport together, do you? Yeah, it's a good point. You know, I used to have a lot of friends and and fellow athletes that that would often uh, be quite interested in the administration and politics of the sport. And I very deliberately never got involved in anything to do with that. I was always very focused. I think I still am a very focused type of person by nature, but was never interested in the politics or the administration. I was only ever focused on what I needed to do to win the next tournament or perform at my best. So I think it was quite eye-opening when I actually uh, you know, left the sport as a competitor and moved into the administration side of things and realised that uh, sometimes I just wish I could go back and throw a bowling ball down a lane. It might have been a little bit easier. How tough was it in a smaller sport such as 10-pin bowling Australia as compared to, say, where you are now at Athletics Australia? Look, being in both bigger and smaller sports, they both have their pros and cons. You know, I think the, the, the whole um, process that we've all been through through COVID, uh, being a smaller sport and, and potentially being, you know, less reliant on commercial revenue, for example, actually meant that from a financial perspective, we probably potentially fared better than some of the larger sports. But, you know, when you are working in a smaller sport, you, you simply have less resources and uh, there's not as many things that you're in a position to do and you have to wear a lot more hats than potentially do in a, in a larger sport because there's just less people to do in many cases you know almost the same amount of work as there are in larger sports it's one of the battles you've faced is is getting a place a seat at the table at some of the major competitions we mentioned there at the commonwealth games in kuala lumpur that was a brief foray wasn't it um and you know no olympic games and how, how big an issue is that for your sport it's been a massive issue. We, we've been trying, you know, I've been involved in the sport uh, since the early 80s and uh, trying to get into the Olympic Games for 10-pin bowling has been on the agenda that whole time. It was an exhibition sport uh, in the 88 Olympics, I believe it was. Uh, I actually went to Atlanta and uh, there was an exhibition event that actually took place in the Olympic Village and it's been constantly on the agenda. We were very hopeful that we were going to get into Tokyo and that didn't eventuate. So, you know, it, it has been an ongoing battle and it, it's been a it's been a something that the sport has been committed to for, for many, many years. And, you know, the sport continues to try and uh, hopefully one day take its place in the Olympic Games, but it is, it's becoming increasingly more competitive and difficult to get into. So, yeah, it has been a challenge and, and also the one and only opportunity uh, that we got to take a part in the, uh, in the Commonwealth Games in 98 was certainly one of the highlights of, of not only my sporting career, but my life to be able to be involved in a multi-sport games and, uh, and have the opportunity to be in, in an event that's uh, so iconic to Australian sports. So it has been tough. It's, it's very competitive and it's a battle that, uh, that the sport's continuing to, uh, to, to battle on with. Uh, so the battle faced by the sport. What about you uh, as a woman administrator, female administrator coming through? Because we do hear stories about you know, the fact that it is tough for a lot of women uh, looking to become involved in high-performance sport in Australia as CEOs of sports in Australia. 
T- tell us about uh, how it was for you. I have to be honest, I have to say I've had a really positive experience throughout my whole life. I've never really felt that being a woman has held me back. Uh, I think, you know, potentially the fact that uh, when I was competing, the women's results were were definitely stronger than the men's. Uh, When I was an athlete, I was the predominant spokesperson for 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 the sport. So I had I've had plenty of opportunities to to be in a in and um, where I've been able to to influence decisions, where I've been able to portray the sport to the media, and also when I was given the opportunity to become a board member for a, for a while and then took the CEO's position, um, I've had plenty of opportunities and I've never felt that being a woman has has been a hurdle to overcome. I think the sport, um, you know, my sport of champion bowling has always been very inclusive and very welcoming of women. So, you know, I, I think it's important that, uh, that I portray that I've actually had really positive experiences by being a woman. Why do you think um, your experience to a certain degree is unique? Because you do hear stories about women really finding it tough in male-dominated sports. Uh, Most of the sports these days are are male-dominated. Just why do you think your experience was unique when you have a look at uh, some of the others around you? Yeah, and, and I'm very aware that uh, that my experience is, is very much the uh, exception rather than the norm. You know, I think some of it probably has to do with the fact that uh, temping bowling by by nature is, is fairly gender neutral. So when I was competing, uh, I did used to compete quite regularly against the men. Uh, it, there is a little bit of a difference between just because of the strength factor that men generally um, score, you know, at the, at the elite levels. You know, the best professional men are, you know, around about 10 pins a game in average higher than the best professional women, but it is fairly gender 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 neutral. Uh, so I think that possibly helps. Also, the participation rates in, in temping bowling are, are fairly 50-50 as well, which, which definitely helps. So I suppose it's a sport that hasn't been dominated by one gender over the other. And that no doubt has has helped in terms of, uh, you know, flowing on to uh, coaches and, and officials and, um, and just administrative um, positions. So yeah, I have had a very positive experience. Uh, I know uh, World Bowling or International Bowling Federation, as they as they are known now, uh, are very committed to uh, making sure that uh, that women have positions uh, on boards and committees. And uh, you know, it has been a sport that's um, you know that's had a great deal of success in ensuring that women are involved in all levels of the sport. Uh, do you think more can be done to to help women transition into leadership roles, such as you've encountered? Um, obviously, you, you've had, uh, as I say, a positive experience going from an athlete to an administrator. Do you think more needs to be done to to try and help women into these roles? Oh, absolutely. You know, there, there is plenty of work to be done. Uh, whilst things have got better, we see much more coverage of women's sport. Uh, in the media today, which is fantastic. You know, there are so many more opportunities for for girls and women to be involved in sport at grassroots level, but also at the professional levels. We're definitely heading in the right direction, but there there still has to be a lot of work to be done. And and again, you know, it's 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 not it's not the same in every single sport. Uh, you know, there are there are some sports that are doing a fantastic job in that area, and there are others that you know that traditionally have been male dominated that have still got a long way to go. We just need to continue to keep having these conversations to make sure that women are supported and encouraged 
and you know there's a role that men have to play as well in in making sure that they are uh, that they talk to, uh, take up the cause for for encouraging women and giving women opportunities uh, to be parts of all parts of the sport. So, yeah, we're, we're getting there, but we've still got a long way to go, most definitely. Yeah, so we've just heard from Kate Palmer, who says that you really need uh, male advocates for change to, to ensure that there is a pathway for women. Yeah, I mean, men are in a position where they, you know, until fairly recently, or you, you could argue is still the case that they have more power. And therefore, uh, you know, we definitely need male advocates for change to, to, to definitely help uh, the conversation. You know, 50% of the population are women. And, and uh, you know, we need to make sure that uh, that women's voices uh, are brought to the, to the table and to the conversation. And it's not just about gender, it's about having diversity at all different levels. You know, the, we are shaped by our experiences and where we come from. And, and uh, you know, the more that we can have diverse uh, conversations with people of different genders, people of different ages, people of different ethnicity, the better decisions that organisations are going to make by having those diverse conversations. You've started a new role as the General Manager of Corporate Services at Athletics Australia. How different is that from the previous role at Tenpin Bowling Australia? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you go from uh, from one sport to another, and you know, let's face it, I've spent most of my life in one sport, being quite focused on the issues and challenges and opportunities in Tenpin Bowling, and then you go to uh, a much larger sport, an Olympic sport, a, a, a sport that's very much part of the DNA uh, of, of Australian sport. And there is a lot that's different, a lot that's also the same. Um, you know, the same battles and conversations with, the, you know, the federated model of sport, um, the same challenges around, you know, how do, how do we get more people participating in our sport? How do we derive more revenue? How, you know, lots and lots of things are, are very similar and, and are shared by, by all sports. But, uh, yeah, I am really loving learning um, a lot about a new sport uh, it's it's uh, I was, had, had an opportunity to go out to the Melbourne Track Classic last night. That's my first uh, opportunity to actually see athletes compete, and uh, you know just just blown away by by how amazing these athletes and coaches are. And uh, it was just a fantastic experience. So I'm I'm like a sponge at the moment, just trying to learn as much as I can about uh, athletics, and and clearly just excited to be part of a sport that's uh, that's heading off into the heading off to the Olympics in the not too distant future. Yes, that's great. Cara, thanks very much for joining us on Onside today and well done on your career and um, your transition into administration where you've uh, made a great deal of difference in 10-pin bowling Australia, now at Athletics Australia. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to Onside. I'm Tim Gable. Well, Tracy Menzies is one of Australia's most successful swimming coaches. Tracy is best known for guiding Ian Thorpe to Olympic gold at the 2004 Athens Olympic Games. At times, though, her journey has been tough in a male-dominated profession. And Tracy is with us today. And Tracy, it hasn't been easy, has it? Um, well, I'd say I've had my ups and downs, like most coaches have had. Um, but I think out of some hardships... I think that's the fortunate thing that you look to see how you learn and how you grow from it. And I think that's what I've been most fortunate about, that I've maintained my own integrity, my own values through my coaching, um, my own coaching philosophies. I've remained in the sport for a very long period of time. And um, yeah, I've managed to have a lot of wonderful athletes that I've had to nurture and develop through their career. And I think that's the thing that I hold dear to what I've done in my coaching. 
Ian Thorpe is the biggest name that you've coached and it wasn't easy. I mean, Ian Thorpe, by his own admission, said he probably would have retired had it not been for you. Is that a heavy responsibility for you in the lead-up to, say, the Athens Olympic Games where he where he won gold eventually in the 400 metres freestyle? Um, I think looking back now, like in time, you can reflect back on how big an ordeal that actually was, that taking him on under... I was Doug's assistant coach, so that in itself was actually quite daunting. And also to have the media scrutiny that believers that I may not be able to do it and then supporters that thought I could do it. So that was actually quite hard that there was a lot of scrutiny on Ian for the choice that he'd made. But also to back-to-back Olympics, I think when you look to actually go after the phenomenal achievement that he'd had in Sydney to then back up at Athens was actually a challenge in itself. So there's many different levels, I think, when you look. But to take him on... And then when he fell in the pool in Sid- like at the Sydney trial, when mm. we're in Sydney for the Athens trials, that then come with another level of complexity as well. So we were dealing with that and then his own self-doubt. I think that was the hard part that I don't think a lot of the public actually saw what he was dealing with, that he was carrying a lot of that burden on his shoulders, that the 400 that Craig had given up that spot for him to swim in that 400. So I think there were many things. And now being in the role that I'm in, athlete wellbeing space, that you look and it is about the importance of that mental health for the athlete. I think that's first and foremost, and I think that's something that I've always tried to manage and steer in coaching my athletes. But I think as a coach, you've got to make sure you do that yourself as well. Given the empathy that female coaches have towards their athletes, not saying that male, male coaches don't have that, does it surprise you that there aren't more female coaches? Um, well, I think sometimes that's been a bit of a criticism that I've shown too much empathy for people and compassion, but I sort of wear that as a badge of honour now that I actually have that vulnerability that I'm prepared to show who I am and care for the athlete. And I think that's a really important part. And I've never preached that I have all the answers. I don't think I've always been somebody that seeked out the advice of others and help of others when I think that I can't navigate things. And I think that's something that whether you're male or female, that sense of asking for help, I think that's something that we're becoming better at but I think we've still got a long way to go. Where, where did you get this value system that you have? Where, where did that originate from? Oh, I think I had really good parents. Yeah. I had great upbringing of family. And when I talk family, I mean like, well, parents, it takes a village and a community to raise a child. And I think that's something that I had really good support people around me. And I think when I took Ian on, I realised that even more how important those people were, the people that keep you grounded. I think that's really important too that at high performance level that we do ground our people, that at the end of the day we are people and it's the connections that you make with people that are really important. So uh, your philosophy is to build the person in a holistic way than the swimmer. That's your approach, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think um, it comes back to teaching. I think when I... I was very fortunate. I taught and coached 
in the beginning times of my career and I think I was very fortunate. I had some really good role models as teachers around me that really made me see the person, that when you went into a classroom that you can have the naughty kids, you can have the kids that are mischievous, but at the end of the day as a teacher, you've got to bring the best out of that person. You've got to unlock them. And I think that's something that I took into my coaching that you can't coach everybody the same. You coach the person that's in front of you and to bring the best out of those people, you've got to understand that person and know how they tick. And I think that's probably how I try and work with my coaching, that you try and bring the best out of that person. And sometimes it'll work, sometimes it doesn't work. But I think the most important thing is you've got to understand them and understand who they are as a person. When you talk about integrity, you're talking about pushing an athlete to the limits, not beyond, not cutting corners Um, and, and doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, I think it's the right reasons, but it's also too about doing things well. I was definitely brought up in the philosophy, if you're going to do something, do it to the best of your ability. And that's when I took Ian on, that's what I tried to make sure that I would do the right things by him and as to every other athlete that I've taken on. But that's one thing as a coach, I try and make sure too, that you empower the athlete to make those choices, that they take ownership for their choices. So if they dodge a set or they miss a training session, that's that's not on me, that's on them. So mm. they own that when they stand up to perform. Mm. But um, yeah, I, it's the same principles you have as a parent, I think too, that if you put good values around them, they'll stand and shine when they've got to shine. Have you had resistance from some athletes to the oh. way that you, you do things? Yeah. Given, given that you're basically saying, listen, it's up to you. Yeah, oh, definitely. I've had athletes that have well, this is your job. And and my reply is it's our job. It's not just my job. It's their job too. I'm helped to facilitate and create the systems around them for the best performance. And I'll put everything in my power to make sure that they get the best. But at the end of the day, I can't stand up and swim the race or now in my role, I can't get in and do the performance. They've got to do those things, but it's equipping them to know how to ask for help what help looks like, what fundamental things create success. So, yeah, it it doesn't happen overnight and I think there's no magic pill either. It's uh, It takes work, it takes persistence, resilience and I think it's just knowing that you just got to be prepared to ride the highs and the lows. It, yeah, it's... It's like a roller coaster. Back to your uh, original comment there just a moment ago about women coaches. Do you think you get enough support within the sport? Um, it, because it is such a male-dominated sport. You have a look at the number of high-performance coaches across all sports in Australia. There are very few women. Well, I think um, you can you can be put in places, but I think it's hearing the voice. I think that's the most important thing, that it's... It's not just having us at the table or having us at the team, that it's having the capacity to actually hear what we have to say and understand if we do things a little differently, that's okay. Not everyone has to coach the same way or not everyone has to behave the same way and different is actually good. 
do you think there's enough acceptance of that though um, in, in Australian sport that the different is good? Probably not. I think, um, well, that's why we've got things in place about inclusion, acceptance. I think we're in a world where we like to say things are happening, but well, in yeah, actual yeah, fact, that's right, yeah, yeah, we're probably, we've still got work to do. It's worry well to say, listen, uh, we're all for inclusion. We want yeah. more, more female coaches. Yet the reality is statistics show that yeah. it's a pretty slow burn. Yeah, and I think the thing, like you've only got to look in teaching, in other professions, there is an equal mix. Like within the teaching ranks you have male students that are taught by females, you have female female students that are taught by male. So I think, yeah, like I listened the other day, Angie Murray's mother, um, like how she spoke about things. And I think that's the thing of females, you just get on and do what you got to do. And if you, sometimes you just, you know that you're not going to make traction, but if you can try and make traction in your own backyard and you know you're doing those things well, you sort of get to a place where you're like, well, I just want to do that and do that really well. Mm. So, yep. Can I take you back to Athens and the 400 metres freestyle? Ian Thorpe had enormous pressure. Uh, obviously he'd got the spot because Craig Stevens you know, relinquished that position after Ian had been DQ'd in the trials. Australia 1-2 at the moment. Thorpe just in front. Hackett's closing. Can Thorpe win again? Hasn't lost for six years. Hackett's very close, really close, closing. Thorpe and Hackett, it's going to be a touch. They hit it. Thorpe's got it. What a race. Hackett second and third killer. 1-2 for Australia. And Thorpe wins his fourth gold medal at the Olympic Games and joins Murray Rose, Betty Cuthbert and Dawn Fraser as the only Australians in all sports in 108 years to do it. Never seen him like this. I mean, he's in tears, basically. Tracy Menzies, his coach, the pressure was on Tracy tonight as well. She took over from Doug Frost in September of 2002. And you just feel that for Ian, there's a whole lot of relief. Craig Stevens, Ian Thorpe, this has been a long saga. It has been quite a journey from Sydney to Athens. What sort of pressure was on you in the lead up to that race? Oh. Because there was enormous emotion after it. Um, well, I think there was immense pressure on Craig, immense pressure placed on Ian. And then as a coach, you want to do the thing that's right by your athlete. You want to try and protect them. And I think it was hard. He, he was very much in a very difficult place that it was he felt he had to do the right thing by Craig he had to do the right thing by his country it was the first race mm. of the tourn like of the championships and that usually sets the tone for the rest of the meet so there's the pressure of that too to make sure that you stand up and deliver mm. so and then as a coach it's knowing how much pressure he was feeling through that prep to do the right thing. It's trying to take the burden off him and wear some of that yourself. So that was hard. And there was a lot of media talk around that race. So at the end of the day, I, like I just said, before he went down to the marshalling area, regardless what happens, 
I'll meet you at the end and I'm proud of what you've done to this point and how hard it's been. Whether it helped or not, I don't know, but I think just letting him know that I was proud of what he'd actually done before he got in the pool mm. was an achievement and, um, yeah, that's when he got out and that's when he said, please don't ever let me swim a race like that again. <laughs> and then when he swam the 200 the next night, it was... It was, he was a different athlete. He was far more relaxed and, yeah, I think both of us were far more relaxed. But, yeah, but I was, I was very lucky. Like I got to sit with Craig that night too and I think, and that's a thing too that he's never been celebrated for what he actually did. Like mm. as an athlete to give up his spot on an Olympics for his mate mm. is unbelievable. It's... I don't think you'd see that off any other athlete in sport and that humility that he showed spoke volumes of what sort of person he was. And I was privileged. I got to work with him to, at the end of his career. So he came back to me after Athens and I worked with him and we had great success, Craig and I. So, yeah, I think there were many lessons that I learned as a coach and also as a person out of that meet. Have you watched the race or listened to it much since? Um, it's funny. I, it took me probably a long time to watch that and watch the even the 200. But I think um, the 100 metre freestyle probably is the one that Ian, that was the one that he actually wanted to make a final mm. at that meet. And then when he walked away with a medal, like that was something that nobody in 100 years had achieved like a medal in the four, the two and the hundred, which looking back now is pretty special that he'd achieved that. And um, just seeing the excitement in his face when he got that bronze medal, it was, Mm. yeah, they're they're the moments why you do the things you do. It was, I think, yeah, you look and go, there's more sometimes than just the medal. Good on you, Trace. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks for joining us on Onside and, and well done on your career. Thank you. Thank you. And now for our segment from Left Field, where we answer a question from the public. Hi, my name's Annabelle and I'm a competitive sport climber and athlete educator. The question I have from Left of Field today is, do coaches get in trouble if their athlete tests positive? If an athlete tests positive, it's possible that their coach will be investigated. The coach doesn't automatically get in trouble. However, if it's found that they were assisting the athlete in doping, they could be sanctioned and banned from sport. Thanks for listening. It's, it's been great to speak to Tracy Menzies, Cara Honeychurch and Kate Palmer. We'll be back with another instalment very shortly. You've been listening to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Send in your podcast questions or suggestions to media at sportintegrity.gov.au. For more information on Sport Integrity Australia, please visit our website, www.sportintegrity.gov.au, or check out our Clean Sport app.